Let's take our Bibles and turn to Matthew 21. Our text this morning is the record of the final entrance of Jesus into Jerusalem, Palm Sunday, and this is one of the several records. There's another record in Mark chapter 11, one in Luke chapter 19, and another in John 12 of this same event. Matthew 21. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them. And immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, that would be Zechariah, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and set him on them. That is, Jesus rode on top of the clothes, on top of one of the donkeys, that would be the colt. He didn't ride on both of them, as some imagine. But they set Jesus on the clothes which were on the colt. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried, saying, cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. And when he had come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, Who is this? So the multitude said, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth of Galilee. That's as far as we'll read this stirring account, moving account, literally, of Jesus' final entrance into Jerusalem as he goes to the cross. Indeed, this is the beginning of the Passion Week of Jesus, as we call it, the week of his intense suffering culminating in his bearing our sin on Calvary's tree and bearing also the wrath of God and bearing it all away. Momentous event, the beginning of the end of the Savior. Till now... Till now, however, it had been rather private. Jesus had meant it so, this event of the Savior saving. He had wanted people to keep quiet that he was the Savior, though he spoke of this in no uncertain terms, and his miracles gave evidence that he was the Messiah, yet he wanted this to be hush-hush in a way, so that, among other reasons, he would not be taken and manhandled in one way or another, maybe by making him a king before the time, his own designated time of the crucifixion. So Jesus, remember last time, as we saw last Sunday, he was at Jericho 
and he'd healed those two blind men by the side of the road. And by this, there was a symbolism, I believe, of the lifting off of the curse of that cursed city that God had pronounced as it represented all of the Canaanite cities that were opposed to God. And Jesus had gone from there, the road, the Jericho Road, the torturous road where, where there were often robbers. And probably, such is the idea that we get from the synoptic gospels that record the same event, probably Jesus had gone to Bethany in the house of Mary and Martha and Lazarus, whom he'd raised from the dead, and he'd spent the Sabbath there. He had gotten there, and their Sabbath children was Friday, uh, Friday evening to Saturday evening. And so he'd had a calm evening there, a calm day there, Sabbath day rest. And then Saturday night, this is how we kind of fit these things together, there would have been this significant uh, supper at which he's anointed with regard to his death and burial by one of the ladies who loved him. And so you have in the morning he comes to Jerusalem. And this would be Sunday morning, the Sunday of the Passion, Palm Sunday as we call it. And he, on his way to Jerusalem, asked for a donkey to be had from Bethphage, the location of which is, we don't know, but it wasn't far from Bethany, probably just on the side of the Mount of Olives, which was a part of Jerusalem proper. And in all of this time, and now on this Palm Sunday, it seems that there's a different direction that the Savior is taking. Because whereas for three and a half years or so, he had been saying, shh, with regard to his identity, now he will have it known. And he lets it be known by grabbing this, commandeering this donkey, not only, but by letting the people shout. The people who were coming with him from Jericho, from Galilee, and from Bethany, and the, the people who were coming out at this time of the Passover season, a lot of people in Jerusalem, he let them shout hosannas and praises and so on. And so everything is looking up. There's a celebration now of the Savior as we would want it, and any good man or woman would want it. We want to celebrate the Savior. He's gone up to Jerusalem, and the people are no doubt wanting to have him ascend to the throne as uh, uh, a David or a Solomon, someone who could vie for uh, contending with the Roman emperor himself and free the people. At this time, however, Jesus reveals that there's another direction that must be traveled before he goes up, not only in the eyes of the people, but before he takes the throne and ascends gloriously to the throne of God. And that's this. The direction Jesus must take is down. Down, down, down. This is the significance, in fact, of this juxtaposition, the setting side by side of the, all of the hoopla and all of the palm branches and so on in celebration of Jesus and Jesus' own demeanor and 
his own donkey. So we want to consider, yes, indeed, that this is a triumphal entry of Jesus on his way to the cross. He comes into this city for the last time, the seventh time. We read in the scriptures that he came into Jerusalem, now the seventh. But we want to read this with sobriety and reverence because while the people want him to go up and never to go down, we know he needs to go down for our sake in order that he might go up and we with him. The triumphal entry, light, lighter, and lightest, first point. And then there's a movement. And this is literally the case in verse 10. When he'd come into Jerusalem, all the city was moved, saying, who is this? And finally, we want to consider that we might ponder and then practice the piety of those who understand the movement of Palm Sunday and the direction that our Savior must make and that we must take if we are to follow him pondering and practicing. There's revelation here, to be sure, not only that Jesus is now letting people tell it like it is, he's the Messiah, but also the fulfillment of many scriptures at this time. Jesus himself had revealed many things about himself, and you have this in, throughout the, the Gospel of Matthew, and also Mark and Luke and John, of course. But Matthew's main purpose we've been seeing in our series on Matthew is to reveal that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Savior. He's the one who is the fulfillment of all that the Bible has ever said about this anointed one who comes to redeem Israel. I think, for example, of the very beginning of this book, Matthew 1, verse 1, Jesus is described as the son of David, the son of Abraham. There, of course, it says a lot. He's in the right line. For God had promised that Messiah would come from David and before him from Abraham. He's called Jesus Christ, and he's called Emmanuel, which means God with us, Chapter 1 and verse 23. In chapter 2 of Matthew, we've heard that he's the king of the Jews. Chapter 2, verse 6, he's a prince and a shepherd. He's the Lord, chapter 3 and verse 3, who baptizes, who will baptize with his spirit and with fire, as John the Baptist is given to prophesy. He's the beloved son, we heard of that in the Jordan River when Jesus was baptized, chapter 3 and verse 17, and, and on and on until most recently Peter had described him, declared him to be the Christ, the Son of the living God, when he was asked, and the disciples, who do you think I am? And Peter was given from heaven to make this great confession, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And now we have this further reveal. And there's all kinds of things going on here. And I just want to point out some of them. And first of all, there's this amazing parable. 
the parable of a man on a donkey who will say something of the kingdom of heaven by his riding on that donkey because it is the fulfillment of Scripture. The Lord himself uh, is perhaps the one saying this quotation of Zechariah. Uh, not sure of that, but certainly the fulfillment of Zechariah would not be lost upon the people and I want to point you to that. In Zechariah chapter 9 and verse 9, we have his calling, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. That would be everyone who's a son of Israel and the son of the promise in Abraham. Rejoice greatly. Happy you should be and shouting you should be. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And I'll go on. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. Why? For Messiah comes and he brings peace. He shall speak peace to the nations, not only to Jerusalem, but to all the nations. He's a savior of the world. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of your covenant, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit, and so on. So this is being fulfilled here. And the people, if they had any inkling of what was going on, and apparently they did because they're, they're, they're a part of this, and this is outstanding to them. It was this donkey. This donkey, this king's coming, heralded by this king's riding on a donkey, the colt, the foal, the never ridden upon, never tamed and domesticated, really, donkey, this beast, this lowly beast of burden. So you have here Jesus' approach to kingship. He goes up to Jerusalem, but he must Come this way, lowly and sitting on a donkey. You see, it was the case of generals, especially after Solomon and, and the kings even of Israel found the worth of horses and multiplied horses to themselves. It was the way of generals, especially marching to war and then returning in triumphant procession to ride on a horse, maybe a white and mighty steed. But it was the way of royalty and those who came with peace to ride on donkeys. Not always, but here it is. So what is revealed here is that Jesus' attitude and approach to the whole thing of kingship and his understanding of it is entirely different than what the, the hoi polloi, the, the masses the people politic are thinking. They want a king like the nations, just like Saul. They want a one who's going to triumph and even maybe liberate them from Rome's shackles. And anything to them was a shackling if they could not have their own land, their own king. But Jesus said, no, that's not the way. I come and you know the story, don't you? of his whole ministry. I come sinners to save, 
sinners to reclaim. I come lowly sitting on a donkey. I'm the prince of the peace that's really peace that I give not through battle bow and mighty steed and spear and gun. I bring it through blood. I will shed my blood. There will be through that shedding of blood the establishment of the justice of God and the revelation of the mercy of God together. And that will be peace which is called reconciliation. Sinners are brought back from where they were in the land, in the land of evil. Back to God who created people to have fellowship with him and life with him or they die. Now that's the kind of savior. And that takes stepping down, going down. And his ministry has been a progress not to go up, 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 but to go down, 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 and then up. We know that. So that donkey speaks of this, and the people are missing the donkey, as we'll see in the second point of this sermon. But then there's this word came across, and others have talked about this. In the acquiring of the donkey, that speaks of the depth of the humility of the Son of God. Jesus sends to, we don't know who it is, to the village opposite, to Bethphage, the house of figs. And immediately, he says, you will find a donkey tied in a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says to you, you shall, uh, anything to you like, why are you doing this? Not your donkey. He won't say just because... Our God, our Savior is God, and he owns the cattle and the donkeys on a thousand hills. He doesn't even say that. He says, you're to say, and this is what I am declaring here, the Lord has need of them. Now you think of that. Here is everything about the gospel, everything that's a stumbling block, but everything that is gospel. And this donkey that he'll ride is one thing, but his needing this donkey is another like the same, the Lord has need. The sovereign Lord has a need. And there's many ways the Bible describes the humiliation and the depth of it of the Son of God, but here certainly is an outstanding way. The Lord says he has need. And how can that be? Here again. Revelation of God, revelation of God with us, revelation of the depths to which God himself would go in taking upon himself humanity and burden and grief and sin. The Lord has need. Beloved, do you know God? He doesn't have any needs. He's God. He's God. And yet Jesus says, well, he does. That is, from one point of view, from my point of view in this humiliated state, and as I must be in this needy state for sinners, I have need. God with us has need. 
And no matter what you say the need is, it seems that Jesus is saying something blasphemous here. Even as the Pharisees thought he was blaspheming when he declared the Son of Man has the power to forgive sins and do a great and divine thing, they thought that was blasphemy. Now, we're on the horns of this dilemma. It seems that he's saying another blasphemous thing because he himself is denying his divinity and saying the Lord has need. You see, this is the direction that this one is going here. And this is the light of this whole thing. The revelation here that will move people about the truth of this God with us, Messiah. Here's Emmanuel. Here's his name, Jesus, coming out. He will save his people from their sins, Jesus. The Lord who loves so much his people, you, that he needs this donkey. He needs all kinds of things. He needs help from God when he cries out, my God, forsaken, why? For your sake. That you might never need any other Savior or anything besides him. Now here's the revelation of the Scripture and of the truth of the truth of the Scripture. Jesus. And that's why also the people, when they are laying before him, their clothes, strewing the path of the donkey with clothes and palm branches and so on, they're saying by that, we, we honor this king. We don't maybe understand him, and they're blind to a lot of things, but they're seeing greatness here. A very great multitude is there. Whole cities moved. And they're crying out, the multitudes who went before him and those who followed him. It's this great big mob of praisers. And they're saying things that psalmists say. Hosanna to the son of David, verse 9. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Later on, the children will be found pray, praising God in the temple. And when Jesus uh, is told by the Pharisees to rebuff the children, he says, if they don't shout, the stones will. There's a revelation here of the depth to which he goes, the direction he must take. If there's going to be any glorification of God in saving sinners. Hosanna, and blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, is they're singing that last of the so-called Hillel Psalms in Psalm 118. There was a group of Psalms called the Praising God Psalms. Hallelujah, hallelujah, praise God Psalms. Psalm 113, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, which was our call to worship. 
Verse 25, save now, I pray, O Lord. O Lord, I pray, send now prosperity. Verse 26, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We have blessed you from the house of the Lord. This is what is being fulfilled when they say these things. And they're saying this of Jesus, the son of David who's coming in the name of the Lord. And they're saying, Hosanna, that is, it's like a prayer, but maybe also a blessing. Save us, O Lord, or God save the king, we would say, in honor of him. But notice, this one who comes, comes in the name of the Lord. And I find in here, beloved, an aspect of the humiliation of the Son of God, who not only comes in the name of the Lord, that is on his behalf, for his reputation, God's reputation. Jesus comes, I say, not only in the name of the Lord, but he is the name of the Lord. And these words of God being fulfilled, he's that word of God. He's that speech of God. It's not Zechariah. It's not Daniel, which is being fulfilled in the 70 weeks, Daniel 9, right now. And the Son of God will be cut off from the earth that sinners might be redeemed. Jesus is the Word. That's the light of Palm Sunday. And on and on. We could go, but we want to see the two movements now, kind of like a symphony. Two movements. And I want to say this, though, before I transition to that. There is light here, great light. And this is as lightest as it's been ever since in Jesus' ministry. There's been light throughout. The truth of God revealed. Now it's lighter still. But over the next five days or so, six and then Sunday, Resurrection Sunday, it's going to be really bright. Even in the midst of the darkest hour. Here it is. The paradox which is Christianity, the light that is Christianity in the darkest time. Even the dereliction of the Son of God for sinners. Light of love, light of justice, light of wisdom, light of God who's above, who, yes, says, I come down in the person of my Son and I have need. And burdens. If that doesn't move you, many other things will, but that's a terrible thing not to be moved by this. Actually, though, it's a terrible thing to be moved by this whole revelation of the gospel in Palm Sunday, to be moved by this in wrong way. And you find this has to be the case because this great multitude that's celebrating Jesus now will not too far from now be crying out, crucify him, crucify him. The same ones with the Palm Sunday praised. They're strangely moved with all the city 
Verse 10. To view things and have a wrong understanding, a wrong view of these things because they miss Jesus and they miss the donkey, the humiliation that Jesus has come not to call righteous but sinners to repentance, that he's come to establish not a carnal kingdom but a spiritual and heavenly kingdom of heaven. He's here to do this in the way of his peacemaking, his blood shedding. The cities moved wrongly. And the question then is, who is this? Some find here two crowds, the, follow, the crowd that followed Jesus, maybe a lot of Galileans. And then the crowd, the city crowd, that questions Jesus now, and they were the Jerusalem stuck-up religious people. I'm not so sure we can make the distinction between the Galileans, and Jesus was raised there, you know, and the Jerusalem, the, the Jerusalem religious folk. But there's a lot of confusion here and there's a lot of movement which will become hardening. But let's make no qualms about it. There's movement. All the city was moved, and it's the case, beloved. When people hear the gospel today, everyone's moved. One way or another, you cannot be moved. You might say, well, I'm not moved by it, but you're moved. You're moved. The word here is the word from which we get seismology. There was a seismic movement of the city. Striking when Jesus came into the world and the magi, the wise men, announced this to Herod that whereas he was born the king of the Jews, Jerusalem was troubled. Different word. But here, now, the last entrance of Jesus, the city is moved with a seismic movement, and that means like an earthquake. Only this is the case. There was no movement of tectonic plates rubbing past one another, but there was a movement in the direction of many of hardening, resistance to everything that was shining upon them now. This, all which would prove to them they were, proved, uh, they were convinced later on because of the leadership of the Jews, convinced them that Jesus was a fraud, a usurper of the real one who's to come in the name of the Lord. They repented of their praise. Those who cried, crucify him. We have no king but Caesar. And they're led by the leaders. What we don't have here, but we have in Luke, is that at this time Jesus wept over the city. Read that in Luke 19. Wept over the city. And then he, he looks ahead to when the Romans will surround the city, 70 A.D., and they will 
slay the Jews, and that will be the end of Jewry, the beginning formally of the new dispensation. Jesus weeps at this time. He knows there's a lot of fakery here. He knows, yes, there's a, a kind of movement, but it's not a good kind of movement. And there's leaders who are leading the people into blindness and further blindness. And they're going to crucify the Lord of glory, the Prince of glory, and reject Messiah. Jesus laments, as it were, in holy grief for this people that went by the name people of God and their rejection of God. Quite a stirring. What about us, beloved? What about us? And this is truly something we have to come to grips with here. And I say to you, if you're not moved, and I'm not seeking enthusiasts here, nor the elders, those who just appear to be moved. But there's a movement that is always the case that always have, has to follow this gospel of Palm Sunday and then the cross that bespeaks the fact that we are moved not only according to our constitution, not only because we're going to change a habit or two, but which bespeaks the fact that there's a movement made in the heart. A movement to repentance. A movement to faith. A movement to more joy in the Lord so that we understand the daughter of Zion's being called to rejoice greatly when her king comes to her. Are you moved that way, hearers? Are you moved that way in the heart? This is something in our day we have to remember. What is moving us? What grips us? What leads us this way or that way? In the day-to-day -day things, what, what moves you? What moves you? Is it events in the world? Is it good things that make you happy and that primarily? Is that why you're happy because of good things you have in your life? Bad things, do they move you to be sad and even sad without hope? And so that your life is one reaction to good things and bad things and you're not centered on Jesus and his moving you, moving you along the way of sanctification, moving you toward the cross and then from the cross and toward heaven and from heaven out into the world so that a people that goes into the world that's by the name of Christian called is truly a powerful people because they've been moved. Moved from what? Moved from their sin. Moved from the condemnation. Moved from the lie of the devil to serve the living God. Is this congregation moved? Are we moved and rocked from the status quo of religion? 
moved even from the majority used to be. And this is a lesson from this, this mass here that's gathered in false praise of Jesus. Used to be that the saying was, was vox populi, vox dei. Voice of the people, voice of the masses is the voice of God. When people thought the majority of humans would be right, they have to be right. After all, most of the humans believe that. Beloved, that's always been wrong. Where was the voice populi, the voice of the people heard? Well, in the garden not only, but then you think of Babel, the voice of the people. We will not populate the earth in the name of God. We're going to stay right here and build the city of men. And then in all of the Babylons afterwards, and to the great whore, followed by the majority of those who call themselves the people of God, becomes the vox populi, which is the vox of the devil. It's that clear in the Bible. And the very end of time is depicted here when many will say, here's Christ and there's Christ, and they'll follow another Jesus. And invariably, the other Jesus is not the Jesus of the cross and the empty tomb, the forgiveness of sins, Jesus. He's a Jesus who's their handyman who accomplishes their agenda, even in the name of God. Striking. If Jericho was cursed, Jerusalem, all the more. Striking. The city... It was on the defensive against God when the people of God first would take the land. That surely was cursed. But then the great city, which was to be where God was revealed and the ordinances of the gospel were performed in a picture, when that becomes apostate, when the church becomes fallen away, how cursed is it? How cursed is it? And how in need of Jesus to have need of a donkey and whose meat and drink, his need was to do the will of the Father. Are you moved? Things super move you today? Have done with those super things. Men of God seek the things of God. And women of God and children of God seek the things that are way above the super. And find your bomb of Gilead and the peace that Messiah brings on the donkey in the midst of all the hard things. All the way to pondering anew what this king can do. Final point. All the cities moved, saying, who is this? The movement of many led them to crucify. The Savior still leads people. Crucify him afresh. Use him. Use religion. Use the Bible for their own ends. People of God, if we are moved sincerely and in the heart, and it's a movement 
that gives us to love God. We're going to show that by pondering and asking ourselves the question, though we know the answer, who is this? Who is this? See, there's a way you can answer that, ask that and say, I don't know who this is. But when you know, the sign of reverence is you ask it again and again. What kind of God is this? This is wonderful. This is amazing. Who am I that he should be this, that he should love me? Who am I that he should forgive me, that he should be with me when I flub up with me in my apostasy to bring me back and with me all the way to the grave and beyond. Ponder anew, beloved. May our congregation respond and the movement be toward reverence and joy. Daughter of Zion, rejoice greatly. Your king comes unto you. Amen. We pray, Father, would you help us to enter once again into that truth. Give us to be those who are moved and then move toward things holy, toward the God who's so holy. He's broken on Calvary and risen and glorified to your right hand. Give us, Father, to be a people of the truth, powerfully moved by every word of God so that we love you more, we love sinners more, we love one another in the communion of a congregation of sinners saved alike through the blood and mercies of God. Thanks for Jesus, Lord. Thanks for this light. Thanks for the direction you caused him to go in. Down, 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 then up, up, up. Thanks for leading us in that direction. That humility would triumph over pride. And heaven, above all the things of this earth, In Jesus' name, amen.